You can open your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 is where we'll find our text this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Recently, I experienced an event uh, that is known within the medical field as a paradoxical reaction. A paradoxical reaction is when someone responds to something in the opposite way that you would expect. When someone takes a painkiller that causes them pain, they experience a paradoxical reaction to that medication. I've recently had multiple experiences that can be described as a paradoxical reaction. My wife's family lives in Colorado and my, my family lives in Florida, so we have relatively long drives to go and see our families. My tendency is just to rip off the Band-Aid in these drives and, and do it in one shot, which generally means that we get up really early in the morning to complete the drive. In our most recent trip, we needed to make it by a certain deadline, and so we needed to leave the house at midnight. So I decided that I was going to go to bed early, around 8 p.m. I knew that I wouldn't be able to fall asleep quite that early. Typically, I go to bed a little bit later than that. So I took NyQuil with the intention that it would help me to fall asleep. I laid down, and before long, I drifted off to sleep. The next thing I remember, my eyes shot open. I felt energetic. I was surprised at how awake I felt. I even wondered if I had had a full night's sleep and had overslept. I looked over at my clock and realized that I had only been asleep for about 20 minutes. It was 8.40 p.m. So I rolled over, excited to get another three hours of sleep, but I had this feeling. I felt awake. My eyes were darting. My mind was racing. 8.40 became 9 o'clock. I felt like I could go run a marathon. 9 o'clock became 10, and there was no sleep. I was wired. 10 became 11, and at that point, I'm just frustrated. Why can't I sleep? 11 became 11.15, and at that point, I gave up. We loaded up the kids, and we hit the road on 20 minutes of sleep. It's not the way I drew it up. It isn't the only time that's happened to me. I tried the NyQuil method again another time, and, the, and I had the exact same experience. It turns out, that I have what's known as a paradoxical reaction to NyQuil. It doesn't make me sleep. It wakes me up. You have a cup of coffee in the morning, it turns out I could just sip on some NyQuil and be good to go. As I've researched this, it turns out that I'm not alone. Somewhere between 2 and 5% of people have this same unexpected reaction to NyQuil. When two people respond completely differently to the same substance, that is a paradoxical reaction. This same event happens with biblical truth. If you regularly talk about God's word, you know that various re people respond in very different ways to the same information. For many in this room right now, there are no sweeter words than the words that are contained within your Bible. They resonate with what Moses told the Israelites about their Bible. These words are your very life. You love them. You're drawn to them. You need them. There may be others in this room who are not drawn to God's word, who find it uncompelling, unattractive. 
It feels boring and lifeless and unhelpful. And so you reject it. Those two events right there are like a paradoxical reaction. Two people respond to the same thing in completely opposite ways. It produces paradoxical effects in different recipients. But for the Christian life, there's also this this strange middle ground in which both of these paradoxical reactions are felt. There are many in this room who find themselves probably somewhere in the middle of what I just described. At times, you love and thrive off of time in God's Word. And yet other times, you feel cold to it. You don't find it to be the words of life. You may sit in one sermon and find yourself growing and learning and responding to conviction. And the next week, find yourself struggling to engage and not seeing the significance of what is being said. You find yourself cold to biblical truth. You feel this paradoxical reaction to be present within yourself at different times. Our text this morning speaks to that reality. It helps us understand each one of those three events. I'm going to read that text now. You can follow along in your Bibles. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. And we're going to go all the way through chapter 3, verse 3. Paul writes this. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things. And yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not yet able, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? And are you not walking like mere men? In this text, this will be our structure for this morning, we see three lessons in how people respond to biblical truth. Three lessons in how people respond to biblical truth. The first lesson in this text is this. Unbelievers reject biblical truth. It's the first lesson that Paul has for us in this text. Unbelievers reject biblical truth. We see that specifically in chapter 2, verse 14. Let me read that. I know we just read it. Let me read that again and let's see this truth displayed in this verse. Paul says, but a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. When Paul says, but a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, he gives us this this first lesson, that unbelievers reject biblical truth. Paul uses the phrase, natural man. Throughout 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul is contrasting the natural man versus the spiritual man. The spiritual man is one who has the Spirit of God indwelling within him. Thus, he is spiritual. In other words, the natural man 
is one who does not have the Spirit of God indwelling within him. The natural man is an unbeliever. Paul says that this type of individual, the natural man, the unbeliever, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Now what Paul is referencing when he says the things of the Spirit of God in 1 Corinthians, it refers to, most specifically, the message that Paul has preached. Paul has preached a very specific message, and he says the natural man does not accept these things. He does not accept the message that I have preached. In the immediate context, the things of the Spirit of God refers to the gospel. You can look to chapter 1 to see that as, as he refers to the gospel according to the unbeliever, is foolishness. Paul says the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. But the things of the Spirit of God includes far more than just the gospel. It refers to the words and the ways of God in general. Paul says earlier in chapter 2 that the Holy Spirit knows the mind of God and that he has communicated the mind of God to Paul and that Paul has communicated that truth to the church of Corinth. So he says, I've, I've communicated to you the things that the Spirit has revealed to me, which is the very mind of God, but he qualifies it with verse 14. He says, the natural man will not accept it. The message that I have proclaimed to you, which is the word of God, the, ma- the natural man rejects it. Unbelievers reject Scripture. Paul is saying that the unbeliever cannot accept biblical truth they reject god's word they don't receive it in humility and in submission unbelievers bristle against the message of god's word paul doesn't stop there he continues to explain why the unbeliever rejects biblical truth in the second half of verse 14 look again at verse 14 a natural man does not accept the things of the spirit of god why For they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. Why does the natural man reject biblical truth? Paul gives really helpful commentary for us here and how we wrap our minds around this phenomenon of someone rejecting biblical truth. There's a phrase in the middle of this explanation that says, he cannot understand them. The natural man cannot understand biblical truth, Paul says. Now, this expression gets thrown around a lot to describe unbelievers' inability to understand Scripture. Often people will say, the unbeliever can't understand biblical truth, and they'll cite this verse. I think it's important for us to qualify that a little bit. That's not exactly what Paul means by these words. The biblical term for understand is is a little bit different than how we regularly use the word understand. What Paul is communicating in this verse is not that the unbeliever cannot intellectually comprehend the meaning of biblical truth, but rather that he will see biblical truth as foolish. It's not that he can't understand what the words mean. It's not that he can't understand its message. It's that he's going to view it as foolishness. Look again at this verse. The natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Why? For they are foolishness to him. When Paul says he cannot understand them, he's using the word more along the lines of agreement rather than intellectual comprehension. He explains it more in the next phrase. Read at the end of verse 14. They are spiritually appraised. Why doesn't he understand them? Because they're spiritually appraised. The word appraised 
or some of your translations may say discerned, refers to an evaluation or a judgment about the value of something. Mortgage rates are low right now. Some of you have had your homes appraised for a refinance. Someone comes to your home and they appraise it. They make a judgment about the value of your home. That's the terminology that Paul uses here. The unbeliever can study biblical truth, but he will make an errant judgment about its value. He sees it as foolish. He doesn't agree with it. It's not that he can't understand the basic truth of Scripture. He comprehends its meaning. He just doesn't buy it. He rejects it. He sees it as utter foolishness. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, we see this specifically. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. The word of the cross in chapter 1, verse 18, is the gospel message. Paul says, unbelievers hear the gospel message and it strikes them as foolish. Look at chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Paul says, my message and my preaching are not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Watch this. So that, verse 5, your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. In other words, Paul says, my message, the message that I've preached, it doesn't align with man's wisdom. It's God's wisdom. And because the natural man does not have the Spirit of God within him, he cannot rightly evaluate biblical truth. It strikes him as foolish. We must recognize We must recognize that biblical truth will necessarily contrast with the unbeliever's values. We must recognize that. They will not accept our message. Apart from the work of a spirit, they will not accept our message. They will view what we believe as foolishness. Understand this. The world will see you as a Fool, if you embrace the gospel message. Biblical truth contrasts with the world's wisdom. And we could spend a long time articulating various angles of the wisdom of the world that directly contrast with biblical truth. Messages like you are inherently good or that you're perfect just the way you are. Some of the world's messages even sound good. Like all, all that we need is love. That's all we need. The world's value system is off. It's wrong. The belief that satisfaction can be found in this experience or in this level of financial security or in 10,000 other places, it contrasts with the message that man is sinful and stands condemned by the Creator, that we are in desperate need of a Savior and that we must repent and deny ourselves and follow Jesus. The unbeliever hears that message and they reject it. It doesn't seem believable to them. The reason is because it is the Spirit of God who opens our eyes to see these things as wonderful 
truth. We need to know that unbelievers, by definition, will reject biblical truth. They may listen to it. They may understand it. But they won't submit to it. They won't embrace it. Only, only the Spirit of God can enable them to embrace and submit to it. Now, let's be clear. This is not, this is not a message of hopelessness. Because the Spirit of God can and does cause unbelievers to change their evaluation of biblical truth. The Spirit of God can cause those who hate biblical truth to love it. Sometimes we can hear these kind of statements and say, well, then what's the point? Why would I share biblical truth if they're just going to reject it? And the answer is because God doesn't change the hearts of unbelievers apart from biblical truth. God doesn't change the hearts of unbelievers apart from biblical truth. In Romans, Paul says, they aren't going to believe if there's not a preacher. There must be something for them to evaluate if God is going to change them so that they can evaluate it rightly. So, hear this message and share biblical truth. Know, while you share it, that every unbeliever is going to reject it, but God can overcome that certain event by illuminating them to the truthfulness of God's word. So present the gospel and pray that God would soften hard hearts and make sinners receptive to what they naturally view as foolish. Pray that God would illumine them, that he would open their eyes to see his word as the wonderful wisdom of God. Well, that brings us to a second point, which we've already said this morning, but Paul makes explicit in verses 15 and 16. The second lesson in how people respond to biblical truth is that believers can embrace biblical truth. Unbelievers reject biblical truth, but Paul says that believers can embrace biblical truth. Contrast it against the natural man who rejects spiritual truth because he cannot accurately evaluate it. Paul says this, look at verses 15 and 16. But... He who is spiritual appraises all things. Yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. The statement, he who is spiritual, in the beginning of verse 15, is a direct contrast to the natural man is a word that refers to someone who has the spirit of God indwelling them. So while the natural man wrongly appraises scripture, Paul contrasts that by saying the believer, he who is spiritual, appraises all things. When he says that the believer appraises all things, he's using the exact same word that was in verse 14. Appraise means evaluate, examine, judge, determine the value of something. Paul's use of the expression all things needs to be defined contextually. Paul isn't saying that the believer is a genius 
He isn't saying that the believer is right literally about everything. The context sets the subject matter as the things of the Spirit, or what we're calling biblical truth. And so when he says the believer rightly evaluates or rightly appraises all things, he's speaking of their ability to embrace biblical truth. The idea here is that the, the believer has the capacity for rightly evaluating biblical truth. So here we see the foundational difference. The unbeliever does not recognize God's word for what he is, and so he rejects it. The believer, because the spirit of God has opened his eyes to see truth for what it is, has the capacity to embrace biblical truth, to love it, to rightly value it, to receive it into his life in humility and in submission. On this level, we see a foundational difference between the unbeliever and the believer. There is a a paradoxical effect, a paradoxical reaction to biblical truth. The unbeliever cannot embrace it. The believer can't because he is spiritual. The Spirit of God has opened his eyes to rightly evaluate truth. Well, as Paul continues his comments on this reality, this verse takes a bit of an unexpected turn at the end of verse 15 into verse 16. Let's read both of those verses again. Paul says, starting in verse 15, he who, he who is spiritual praises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. To rightly understand what Paul is saying after the first half of verse 15, we need to remember what the Corinthians are dealing with in, in this chapter. They are feeling the scorn of the world for having embraced what the world sees as foolishness. Some of them have responded to that scorn of the world by submitting to worldly thinking. Paul is correcting that. The world has judged them. The world has called them fools. Paul responds and says, of course. Of course they will. The gospel is foolishness to the world, but that's expected because they can't rightly evaluate biblical truth. You can. That's what Paul is saying here. So he's telling them that they are the ones whose value system is actually correct. And then he says, they don't get to judge you. They don't get to judge you. That's what he's saying at the end of verse 15 when he says, the spiritual people are appraised by no one. In other words, don't submit to what the world declares about your beliefs. They will take you for fools. But their judgment doesn't matter. That's why Paul says the spiritual man appraises all things, but he's appraised by no one. He bolsters this statement further when he says in verse 16, who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? Verse 16, Paul is quoting from Isaiah chapter 40. Paul says, if an unbeliever scoffs at you for building your life on biblical truth, they're scoffing at God. They're scoffing at his truth. 
spiritual truth, which they can't rightly evaluate because it is spiritual. Of course, they don't love biblical truth. We only love biblical truth because God has enabled us to do so. Paul is saying, if you submit to their judgment, then you are saying that they are wiser than God. That's why he says, who knows the mind of God that he's going to instruct him? Who will be an instructor of God? And then in one of the most amazing statements, Paul closes out this argument. He has said they can't rightly evaluate truth. They don't know the mind of God, but look at the end of verse 16. They don't know the mind of God, but we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ because the Spirit of God is within you. Paul says, you have the ability to think. This is an amazing statement. You have the ability to think like Jesus. Now, of of course, that doesn't mean that we're all knowing. It means that our minds have been enabled to value what is real and true. It means that when we encounter truth in God's word, we can recognize it for what it is, the very words of God, words that contain life. What an amazing statement. You, if you are a believer, you have the mind of Christ. God has given you, by his grace, the ability to think righteously and to value truth appropriately. The world cannot do that. But you are not like the world. You have been given a new mind that sees biblical truth for what it is. Well, so far in this passage, this has been fairly clean. There's two sides of the coin here, believers and unbelievers, and their paradoxical reaction to biblical truth. But in the next few verses, Paul's letter takes a a shocking turn. Look at chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Paul has just said, the unbelievers will reject it. Believers can embrace it. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now, you are not yet able, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? And are you not walking like mere men? After saying that unbelievers don't respond to biblical truth and that believers can, Paul looks at the believers in Corinth and he says, I can't speak to you like spiritual men. This is, again, the exact same term that he used earlier to describe all believers, those who are spiritual, those who have the Spirit of God within them. Paul literally looks at the church at Corinth and in an absolutely shocking statement, Paul says, I can't speak to you like someone who has the Spirit of God within you. I can't speak to you like a believer. 
And he explains why in verse 3. He tells them why he has to speak to them like a natural man at the beginning of verse 3. Because you are still fleshly. The presence of sin in the lives of believers at Corinth has made them respond to biblical truth like an unbeliever instead of like a believer. So here we find our third lesson for how people respond to biblical truth. Our third lesson is this. Sin causes believers to respond to biblical truth like unbelievers. Sin causes believers to respond to biblical truth like unbelievers. Paul says, I can't even speak to you like you are spiritual, which again is a description of everyone with the Spirit of God in them. Those who are spiritual are believers. He says, I have to talk to you like men of flesh. It's the same type of terminology that was in chapter 2, verse 14, to describe unbelievers, mere flesh, without the Spirit. Now, let's be clear, I don't believe Paul is saying that the Corinthians are unbelievers necessarily, But he does say, you aren't thinking like a believer. You aren't responding to biblical truth like one with the Spirit of God within you. So they are thinking and they are responding like unbelievers. But Paul does acknowledge, again in the beginning of this chapter, Paul does acknowledge that they are more than just unbelievers. Look again at chapter 3, verse 1. I could not speak to you as spiritual men, but as men of flesh. And then he qualifies, almost as if to soften the blow a little bit, as to infants... In Christ. So they're not outside of Christ. They are infants in Christ, but they are completely helpless and immature, responding and thinking like a natural man, a man of flesh. Though they have the mind of Christ, they know nothing. And it is evident throughout the book of 1 Corinthians. If you read the rest of this book, it is evident that these people aren't thinking like a believer should. And so Paul has to give them instructions that are indicative of a parent raising a child, things that are so clearly evil and wrong. Paul has to say to this church with the mind of Christ, don't do that. The Corinthians are the proverbial child that is putting their finger in an outlet or putting their hand on a, on a hot stove and Paul says, stop it. Throughout the book of 1 Corinthians, that's what he's doing. He continues in verses 2 and 3. He says, I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not yet able, for you are still fleshly. Paul's statement about milk and solid food is a, is a difficult statement. We know from other areas in Paul's letter that the message that Paul preached was consistent. To everyone, Paul preached Christ crucified, buried, and risen according to the scriptures. That message never changed for Paul. There was not an elementary message and an advanced message for Paul. So when Paul says, talks about milk and solid food, it's not so much about Paul changing the content of his preaching. It's more about the receptiveness of the recipients. When Paul says this milk and solid food in regards to what he's delivered to them, it's not about the content of his preaching. His message was consistent. There was not an elementary and an advanced message. It's about the receptiveness of those who he was teaching. 
Paul says, I proclaimed the message. And what you got out of it was milk, not solid food. In other words, you picture two people, one who is living righteously, one who is living in sin. Paul says the same message to each of them, and one of them doesn't receive it in in the fullness of its significance and its implications. Paul says, you just got milk out of what I said. My message has brought you nothing more than milk. You have taken from my instruction what an infant would take. His illustration is powerful. Imagine an infant versus one who is mature, and there's a message to both of them. Don't touch the stove. The message is the same for either of them, but the mature have an entire capacity for evaluation and experiential thinking that enables them to determine the what and the why and the significance of the message. The infant knows nothing more than the basic command, and so they often choose to violate it. Paul says, you are not receiving the full weight of my message. It's important to look at the terminology Paul uses in verse 2. He says specifically, you are not able to receive my message in verse 2. You are not yet able to receive it. This terminology references their ability to, to receive biblical truth. He says you're incapable of receiving it because you're still fleshly. In other words, the sin that is in your life is making you incapable of receiving my message. Paul says you're going to receive my message like an unbeliever. How does an unbeliever receive biblical truth? Paul says you're going to reject it. It's going to be lifeless and cold and unimportant and irrelevant. Why? He tells us in verse 3. Because there was jealousy and strife and fleshliness. Paul says, you are walking like mere men. Mere men is people that are not filled with the Spirit. You're walking like a natural man, Paul says. Paul says, because you are living like an unbeliever, you will respond to biblical truth like an unbeliever. So what's Paul telling the Corinthians to do? He's commanding them to confess their sin, to turn, to stop sinning. More specifically, he's telling them, if you don't, what I'm about to tell you is going to fall dead at your feet. We must understand that our sin keeps us from embracing biblical truth. Our sin keeps us from embracing biblical truth, even if you're a believer. This is, this is incredibly dangerous. And it's also a a vicious cycle. Sin keeps you from embracing biblical truth. And the rejection of biblical truth lands you deeper and deeper into sin. Sin is dangerous. It, it, It blinds us to the effect that Scripture is intended to have on our life. A believer in sin will not see how Scripture hits them. They may understand the message. They may understand how it applies. They may clearly see how someone else should turn, but they are cold to how Scripture hits them and how they should receive it and submit to it. Just like our previous points, this is not a hopeless message. It's not to say that no one can ever escape from their coldness to biblical truth. 
just like God can bring the unbeliever to life and cause them to embrace what they had previously rejected, God can illumine a believer to have conviction over their sin and to repent. I've seen this happen. I've seen the Spirit of God bring someone who is cold to repentance. So God can certainly perform this miracle. But I think that if we enter into the mind of Paul in this text, what he is intending for his readers to do in this passage is to repent so that they are receptive, to turn. Paul says, you're responding like an unbeliever because you are in sin. In other words, stop sinning, confess your sin. And only then will you be receptive to biblical truth. Stop sinning. And you will love biblical truth, Paul says. You will grow because of it. You will embrace it if, in fact, the Spirit of God is within you. I think we often get this backwards. We bring a very mystical approach to how Scripture works. Frustrated with our sin, we often think, I'll, I'll try reading my Bible tomorrow and I'll see if that helps. And you read, and it's not always helpful. And you're cold to it and you try sermons and sermons aren't convicting and everything just feels, feels dead. And we think it's not working. Biblical truth, it, it just, it isn't working for me. And so we look for fulfillment and answers in other places. This passage says, of course that doesn't work. Spiritual truth is embraced by those who live spiritual lives. So it's not just that we sin because we are cold to God's word, though I think that that's true. It's not just that we sin because we are cold to God's word. This passage says we are cold to God's word because of sin. I'm going to put this statement on the screen because I think it's the heart of what Paul would have us to receive this morning. Confession of sin makes us receptive to biblical truth. I believe the greatest thing that you can do to prepare your heart for growth and maturity as a believer as you approach God's word is to examine yourself and repent of areas that we are still fleshly. Identify. Where does my life look, to use Paul's terminology, like I am a mere man and one that is not filled with the Spirit? And as you identify those, confess them and turn from them. Paul says, this is the person who can receive biblical truth without hindrance. It's the one who has turned from their sin. In James chapter 1, James says, put aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. In humility, receive the word that is implanted that can save your souls. James gives us the same command. Be confessors of sin in preparation for reception of God's word because sin blinds us to how God's word strikes each one of us. It should be a regular event in our lives. If you want to grow, if you want to grow in your receptiveness to biblical truth, if you find yourself cold even though, even though you're a believer, search your life for sin that would blind us from being receptive to how God's word hits each one of us individually.